You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning. Good to be with you today. Um, a, a couple months ago, maybe even not that long, uh, I started noticing that the air in my upstairs just kept running. And, uh, you know, in the summer, that's not good. And so I go upstairs at one point, maybe like four, five, six in the afternoon, and notice that my thermostat says it's 82. But if you stepped into any of our rooms, you could tell it's not 82 degrees up here. It felt like 75, 76. But our uh, thermostat in our upstairs, you have to understand, you come up the stairs and we have this loft that looks down over the downstairs. Well, the only vent in the entire loft is right there where that big opening is into the downstairs. And the thermostat's on the completely opposite side of that loft. All right. Now, as I've told you before, I'm no genius, but I'm thinking to myself, this is fairly simple. The air is not circulating over here to the thermostat. So the thermostat, being that it's not even smart as we are, doesn't know it's actually cool up here. So I call the home warranty company. Yeah, and you know that story, don't you? And they send me a company out. And uh, I'm going to make a really long story short here. After an hour and a half, uh, I've not only paid my service fee, I've also paid $100 for Freon um, in my upstairs unit and my downstairs unit because I've been explained that it's obviously the downstairs that's causing all of this. And of course, in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, look, dude, it's cool in my house. The thermostat just keeps running. I need help with the thermostat. So I paid my money, the guy goes away, and the problem's not solved. I call the home warranty company. Um, yes, company number one. Uh, I need company number two, and I'm not paying for it this time. So they send me company number two. Now, guy number two is in complete agreement with me that guy number one did not know what he was talking about. And he spends an hour, an hour like in my attic doing different things, and uh, but then he leaves... And one common denominator is that both of these companies, both of these men have told me that to some degree, I just have a problem that I'm going to have to live with. And so really, it, you can't really label it a problem. Uh, I'm being explained that there's this thing called the rule of 20, where however hot it is outside, you should not expect to be able to cool your house any more than 20 degrees below that. Company number one, I have to confess to you this morning, and I probably should seek out repentance from them. Uh, I said, that's a load. Because I grew up in Texas. It was cool in my house in Texas. And believe me, you haven't been to Texas, you haven't felt hot. Uh, I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. And I'm, I'm just thinking, maybe this is true if my AC unit is this big. Okay? But the one that I have for my downstairs is like as big as that drum thing over there. I mean, it's huge. I need to like build a shroud to keep from seeing it. And so after paying money after two companies, here's where I sit. I can't get anyone to fix my problem, which I still have because either they can't really figure out what the problem is or 
they don't really think I have a problem to begin with. Which, crazy me, I'm thinking, I wouldn't have called you if there wasn't a problem. Okay, nobody spends time, energy, much less money trying to fix something that they don't really, really think, believe, or care is broken. Relationships. A lot of time in our relationships, marriages, they fall apart because one spouse or both either don't think there's really, really something broken and moreover aren't even going to begin to buy in the idea that maybe I had something to do with breaking it. There's a word that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to become so, so familiar with. And the word is reconciliation. Reconciliation means to restore or to bring back to its original place, to bring back together. Well, again, let me kind of repeat this. No one cares about reconciliation until they care or they even acknowledge that something is broken. Nobody cares about bringing things back together until they either recognize or care that they've been torn apart. Well, I want to submit to you this morning that if you are a Christian, every single relationship in your life is about reconciliation. Every single relationship in your life is about reconciliation. Living intentionally, which is one of our core values here at the Brook, living on purpose means that we have to understand that no relationship in our life grows on accident. It won't happen. It takes work. It takes cultivation. In fact, it takes determination. And at some point, it is always going to require reconciliation. If you are a Christian, every relationship in your life to some degree has to do with reconciliation. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, you have not surrendered your life to Christ, uh, I'm praying for you that you will see this morning that in knowing Christ, as he first reconciles us back to God, he can and should be changing every relationship in our life. Before we dive into the scriptures this morning, I want to ask you to bow your head for a moment and I want to ask you to pray with me that we would pray this morning, Lord, first of all, I ask you to remove my pride. God, if there are any walls of bitterness in my life, that you would knock them down. And Lord, that you would give me a very clear understanding of why and how You have called me to be an agent, a minister, an ambassador of reconciliation. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look with me this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to talk about living on purpose and reconciling relationships. In 2 Corinthians, did I say 1 Corinthians at first? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 11. 
Paul writes, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, therefore, because we are awestruck, God, over who you are and what you have done, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. What Paul says there is a little bit confusing and it's a little bit wordy. Let's put it in plain English. The appearance of things matters very little if the condition of things is still corrupted. The appearance of things matters very little compared to the real, authentic condition of things. And Paul communicates the truth in saying this, that God knows our hearts. No matter what shroud, facade, or whatever appearance we put up, God knows the condition of things. Let's think about this on our terms. Let's, let's have a hypothetical here, all right? Let's say that we've got like this young boy and his mom says, young boy, go clean your room. And she knows what the room looks like. Well, five minutes later, he's back downstairs getting ready to go outside. And she says, now, wait a minute. Did you really go clean your room? Oh, yes, ma'am. Well, mom's a little smarter than that, isn't she? Yes, she is. And she says, I tell you what, let's go look at the room together. And so they go upstairs, and as you enter the doorway, things look clean. Well, then mom, hearing the gasp of the son behind her, opens the closet door and is pummeled by all kinds of sports equipment, toys, you name it. Mom recovers, gets up off the floor, begins to find fruit roll-up and gusher wrappers under the mattress, There's some crusted, dirty underwear between the bed and the wall, along with an empty bag of Cheetos, because you realize young boys eat Cheetos in their underwear. And so we quickly discover that it appeared to be clean, but the condition wasn't clean, and the mom has to evaluate, maybe I've miscommunicated, that I'm not really concerned about the room appearing to be clean, I actually want it to be clean big difference. God is much more concerned about the condition than just the appearance. Going on, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says that Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls my life because Christ's love is what saved me. But Paul actually goes a little bit further than that because what he really says here is that Christ's love controls my life because Christ's love is what saved me from myself. See, most of us didn't get up one day and and think that the thing that we needed to be saved from was ourselves. Christ died for me and he saved me so that I might be saved from the emptiness 
and the dead end of living my life for myself. Paul is communicating here that Christianity, that following Jesus is diametrically, foundationally, fundamentally opposed to self-centeredness. It's not that they're strange bedfellows. Uh, they, they cannot coexist following Christ and living for me. They diametrically oppose one another. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ like this, we look at him that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, we no longer look at anybody through the eyes of our flesh. No longer look at anyone from a human perspective. We don't consider the world's evaluation of other people any longer. Why not? Well, because God didn't and still doesn't look at you and I that way. Remember, don't ever forget Colossians 3, 3, that my life is now hidden with Christ in God. He reconciled us in Christ back to himself and now gives us the ministry of of reconciliation. Between verses 16 and 20, Paul uses the word reconciliation and re- reconcile five times. This is what God is now doing in us. What he did to us and in us, he now desires to do through us. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. So back to what I said a few minutes ago, every relationship in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, has to do with reconciliation, is about reconciliation. Let me say it this way. Because of what Christ has done to reconcile you, to reconcile me, to reconcile us back to God, our lives are now to be spent delivering that reconciliation to the lost and experiencing that reconciliation with one another. Let me say that again. As a follower of Jesus Christ, and because Christ reconciled me back to the Father, my life is now to be spent taking, delivering that message of reconciliation to those who have not received it, and experiencing that reconciliation with all of my brothers and sisters who have. Therefore, no relationship in my life falls outside of reconciliation, not one. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, 
I want you to see that the New Testament, and some of this is Paul himself, but throughout the New Testament, this message is constantly affirmed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, So being affectionately desirous of you, Paul says, because of this deep, deep affection that I have for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves, our whole lives, because you had become very dear to us. If someone is dear to us, if, if there's anyone in your life, and I know that there is, if there's anyone in our lives that we have this deep affection for, Paul would have absolutely no comprehension for how it is that we have not shared our whole life with them. Much less would he be able to comprehend how you and I could have someone in our life that was dear to us, that we had deep affection for, that we had not yet shared the gospel with. Because he says here, we, we had such a deep affection with you, we weren't just ready to share the gospel with you, but with our, our whole lives. And so Paul is saying, look, if God has put this affection this, this relationship in your life with someone else. You're to share, with the gospel, share the gospel with them without question. But in doing so, understand, you, you need to extend your entire life. Turn a few more pages over into Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are all going to sin. The notion that we come to Christ and, okay, I'm done sinning. Good luck. We are all still going to, at some point, we're going to sin, we're going to stumble, we're going to fall, fail, rebel. It's going to happen. But here's the question. Are you and I going to be led to confession and repentance? Are we going to be brought to that place of brokenness to confess and repent? Hebrews says to exhort, confront, admonish one another to do so, to repent, so that your heart does not become hardened toward the Spirit. You see, as the Holy Spirit consumes your life and mine, as we are filled with the Spirit, every time the Spirit comes and begins to breathe conviction into my life or your life over sin that's there that hasn't been confessed or repented of, and you and I choose to sort of ignore that sin, ignore what the Spirit is trying to say to us, and, and we just kind of give it the, the subconscious, nonverbal, oh, shut up, Holy Spirit. I don't really want to hear that. What happens is our heart becomes hardened. And the next time the Spirit of God comes and we keep pushing away, we don't want to deal with that brokenness, our heart becomes harder. Our ears grow deafer, if that's even a word. 
and, and we just lose the sense of even being able to hear from the Lord as he's trying to speak to us. John communicates this as well. Turn a few pages over into 1 John chapter 1. In verse 5, he says, This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship with one another And the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now let me stop right there for a second and call a timeout. And let me point out to you that 99% of the time that our relationships as Christians are broken, they are fractured, they are messed up, and they don't find healing, it's because of what John just said right here. Somehow, some way, in the midst of it all, in the midst of me being wounded, in the midst of my pride being shoved to the ground, in the midst of my heart being broken, somehow I have allowed myself to come to the conclusion that I have no sin in this. Somehow what's happened is I get to the point where I sit there and the Spirit is saying, seek reconciliation, seek restoration, Brian, seek it out, seek reconciliation. But what happens is my flesh is saying, but Brian, you deserve restitution. You deserve it. You're not the one that started this. You weren't the jerk. You know what's crazy is that this sermon has been on the calendar for a long time. I spent my entire week drowning in brokenness over watching petty, stupid, vitriolic, idiotic, childish things break relationships between believers. And it's all because we all, all of us, we sit there, we build a fire around our entitlement to restitution. I want you to hear me. Our fleshly restitution was crucified on the cross. We don't get that anymore. We don't have that right And our relationships stay broken and stay fractured because we say, and we don't say it, we never say it. 
We think it and we feel it and we believe it. We believe we have no sin. Well, guess what? If we think, believe, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But now here is the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And you know what else he's faithful to do is to reconcile us. He already did it to the Father. So don't think that he can't reconcile us to one another. The question is, do we want it? See, I think that we think at times that, as Paul said to the Thessalonians, that we have a deep affection for people. No, we don't. We have a deep affection for us. And if you jack with my deep affection for me, Go back like a five minutes. Christianity, self-centeredness, they're diametrically opposed. It won't work. Every relationship in your life and mine is about reconciliation. Because of what Christ has done to reconcile us back to the Father, our lives are to be spent delivering that reconciliation to the lost and experiencing that reconciliation with one another. If we have been reconciled back to God in Christ, we are now ministers of reconciliation. You may have walked in here this morning going, no, Brian, Chip, Chad, they're the ministers. Nope. Welcome to the club. If you're a Christian, you are a minister of reconciliation. If something happens to our relationships with one another, if something fractures, we are called to actively, humbly, prayerfully work and labor toward reconciliation. Jesus says in John 13, 35, the rest of the world will know that you belong to me by your love for who? Yourselves? No, for one another. The world will know that you belong to me, that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So friends, if, if we know someone who has not surrendered their life to Christ, then going back into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, along with Paul here, if we know someone who does not know Christ who their life has not been awestruck over who God is and what he does, we persuade them, okay? Knowing the fear of the Lord because we have been struck and changed by who God is and what he's done, we persuade others. If I know someone who is living without hope, I want to tell them where they can find it. They can find it in being reconciled back to God. And there is only one way and one truth over how that happens, and that is through Jesus Christ. And you and I have become full-time agents, ambassadors, ministers of that reconciliation. So if you don't have that on your resume, get it there. We're all there. But as we wrap this up here, let me ask you to consider this. Where do you see bitterness fitting into our relationships as Christians? 
rhetorical question. Where do you see unforgiveness fitting anywhere into our relationships with one another? You don't. It doesn't fit, yet we constantly try and make it work. Let me give you something to do this week. This is an exercise that this will help each of us, if we need it, to understand how it actually works. Um, Take a tack and sit on it while you're driving. Okay? That's what it looks like with us trying to live with unforgiveness and bitterness in our lives as Christian. That guy looks like an idiot. That's how we look. In Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, referenced this book a few weeks ago. Here we are with it again. He says, Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Friends, intentional living, living on purpose for Christ means that we understand no relationship grows on accident. It will not happen that way. No one also either cares about reconciliation until they recognize and care that something has been broken. And so I would ask you this morning a question that I already know If the Spirit of God lives within you, you're already going to know the answer to this question before I ask it. Is there a broken relationship in your life? Are you praying relentlessly, working tirelessly to reconcile? I didn't ask you, are you working for your salvation or are you working so that God will love you? Those two things, they're secure. So because of that, you and I ought to be spending ourselves toward reconciliation. Jesus is still into healing things, including our relationships. So why does this not happen? It doesn't happen because this is why Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. That the appearance of things, God's not interested in that. He's interested in the condition. What happens is you and I just try and cover it up. Maybe if we just stop talking about it, maybe if we just sweep it under the rug, everybody will just forget about it. It doesn't work that way. I've always been perplexed as to why in like the 70s and 80s, there was this wave of people, whether in homes or in workplaces or wherever it may be, of covering over wood floors. I mean, watch HGTV for like 10 minutes and you'll see it. They go into a house or to some old office or wherever it is. And I mean, I think back because I was alive during those decades. I don't think that carpet was like invented and everybody was like, oh, carpet. 
oh, I have to have that. I don't think that had anything to do with it. So why do people go into these homes and pull it back and they're like, oh, look at this floor. I'll tell you why. Because at some point, that floor, it got like scuffed and scratched and beaten. And you know, they show dirt. Man, do they show dirt. Let's just cover it up. It won't take all the work. And it honestly is probably even cheaper. Let me show you something. My kids' school, they've been going to their school. They're starting their fourth year. And the year that my kids started there, we moved into East Clinton Elementary School, one of the last Art Deco buildings built in this state. It's right in the middle of Five Points down in Huntsville. And for two weeks before we moved in, it, it, we should have videoed it. It could be like a HGTV show. But one of the things that happened was, I think we have some pictures here. There was this carpet. It, there was nothing special about this carpet, but it was there and it was old and it was nasty. Nobody had been in this school for years, all right? But lo and behold, what happened? We pull it back. Here's this incredible floor. Well, so you'll see in the next picture, there it is. And to say to you that it took work to restore this floor is a grotesque understatement. But I want you to see it now. You walk into that school in the front door and you just go, wow. (laughs) Not even close in using this as an illustration to the importance of that and our relationships. And many times God wants to do something with our relationships that, oh my heavens, is it going to take work? Because the relationships have been beaten, bruised, scuffed, the dirt, you can't even begin to hide it. But what do we want to do? We just want to cover it up and we want to go on. And Jesus says, I don't work that way. It's not how I operate. Jesus is not into patches and cover-ups. He is into taking what is dead and making it alive. He is about taking what is right now in darkness and bringing it to light. Jeff Vanderstelt in his book, Saturate, which if you haven't read, they're right out in that breezeway on the shelf. I'll just say to you this morning, and I may get kicked for doing this, if you don't have that book and you want it, take it. But if you take it, you better read it or lightning will strike you. (laughs) I want you to hear what Vanderstelt writes. It's a lot easier to cover up brokenness than to restore it. I want to repeat that. It's a lot easier to cover up brokenness than to restore it. But what is broken is still broken even after it's covered up. Covering up our brokenness, hiding our need for restoration is much easier than the actual restoration, or so it seems. The problem is that we're still broken. 
Covering up doesn't change the problem. It just masks it so that not everyone can see it. However, God sees. He knows. And he is not satisfied with the cover-up. He wants to restore to his original design. His means of restoration is others in your life and mine who are committed to bringing your brokenness out into the open and bringing the gospel of Jesus to bear on it. Let me just close with this. If your relationship in mine is broken and I don't have the brokenness and the humility and the deep affection for you to do whatever I need to do to reconcile that relationship, what credibility do I have for one second to think I can speak reconciliation to the lost? So you're telling me that Jesus reconciled you back to the Father through his death? But you can't reconcile with your brother and sister in Christ because why? See, in a minute, here's what we have the opportunity to do. I know this is going to sound crazy. But our response in just a moment, as we, as we stand to sing together, is actually your opportunity to cover up. Because Jesus says, if you're coming to the altar and you realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Forget about worship. Forget about singing praise. Go find your brother or sister and be reconciled to them. The question is this morning, will we actually really worship through obedience or are we just going to keep singing? I will tell you that the greatest thing that this band, the worship team, would ever see is if half the people in this room either walked across the room or walked out of it because they said, I love this song, but I got a a relationship to reconcile. Don't cover it up. Don't keep sweeping it under the rug. The love of Christ controls us Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, you and you and you and me, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you, brothers and sisters, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart.
Lord, this morning our flesh, for many of us right now, is whispering into our ear, you deserve restitution. Lord, we ask this morning that you would not only give us the courage, but that you would so fill us with your spirit that we would be able to tell our flesh um, to just send that message back to hell where it came from. Lord, we pray this morning that we would once again be transformed by the truth that you desire truth in the innermost parts. Lord, that we would be overwhelmed with the truth that if you can supernaturally, eternally, through what you did, through your death and resurrection, Lord Jesus, reconcile us back to the Father, you most certainly can reconcile us to one another. Lord, we ask this morning, whether it's in these next moments, whether it's in the moments after we walk out these doors, God, that we would not only hear, but that we would heed your spirit. God, that we would be obedient. And Lord, that as a result, the world, the lost, dying, broken, hopeless world, they would know that we belong to you. They would know that we are your disciples. They would know that our lives have been transformed by our love for one another. Lord Jesus, this morning we desire in our lives once again to say you are king. You reign. You rule. Lord, everywhere that we have pride and bitterness, we pray that you would knock it down, that you would destroy it. God, that you would replace it with humility and brokenness and forgiveness. Come, Lord Jesus, come into this place and fill us, break us, Restore us. For the sake of your name and your glory. I want to invite you right now to stand and sing, but more than that, I just invite you into obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.